You are listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. So, believe it or not, we're almost halfway through the year, right? We're, we're coming up on June, so we've kind of completed five months um, of this particular year, and we began the year with a word from God lead up. And it was very from a very specific passage, and I don't want this passage to get away from you. I don't want this theme to get away from you, so I'm going to frame today's message in, in this kind of cast. So Psalm 78, 70 through 72 says this, he chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens, from tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart and with skillful hands he led them. This is the charge that God, I don't believe it's gonna be a singular charge for us this year. I believe this one's going to linger into the coming years to, um, to lead with integrity of heart and with skillful hands. So the question five months in is how are you doing with that? How has your leadership growth been? How has that integrity growth been? How has your skill growth been? Have you even paid attention to it? I can refer you back on the website. It's really easy to, to, um, to navigate, and you can go to our January message series called Lead Up. You can find that by date. You can find it by series title, and there was at least five or six weeks in that regard. And I, my challenge here was that there are six relational circles in which we lead. All right, so I'll remind you of those. The first is ourselves. All leadership begins with self-leadership. You have to lead yourself well before you can ever lead others well. The second was our families. That our family is the framework of society. This is why it comes under attack so much. Because it is a framework, it is a foundational piece of our culture. And your leadership matters in that. And every... Every person in the family has a specific leadership role to play. Yes, I believe God gives the husband a specific overall spiritual leadership for a family. But I will tell you by personal experience, I cannot lead that without Gina. And I will tell you that as Annie has grown, she has added leadership to our family. Everybody from, student, from kids to students to moms to dads. Hey, listen, and the, the multi-generational factor is a big deal so we need to, this is a circle we're called to lead with integrity and with skill. And our church, our church is highly personal. Um, and it's, uh, but its health also rests in how the organization functions, right? Because once you start getting a group of people together, there has to be systems and leadership in place in order for the health to continue to spread in the body. Does that make sense? I always say, right, you've heard me say this. People say, I don't like organized religion. And my response is, I don't like disorganized religion, right? And so, so organization doesn't have to mean clunky and mechanical or impersonal. It just means there has to be systems in place and people working in those systems that love people and serve people, right? And so this is our calling. If you're, if you're sitting here and you haven't found a place to serve and lead yet, there are places. And not just places that we create, but places that you create. Our small group system, the reason why I love it so much is we've begun so many new initiatives and ideas out of that model 
And those ideas didn't come from any of the staff. They came from giftings and callings and passions from the body. And then that system allows that to have support and, and, and promotion for it to grow and attract other people. And it's just an amazing thing that we do here and your leadership matters. Fourth is that we lead in our community. That the church is the hope of the world and its future rests in the hands of the church and rests in the hands of leaders. Um, the church can shift culture by flooding the community with spiritual influential leaders. Do you believe that? That the culture can shift if we flood the culture with spiritually influential leaders. Our workplace is the fifth relational circle that God calls us to lead up in. God is at work where you work, no matter what type of work you do. I'll say that again. God is at work where you work, no matter what type of work that you do. And then the sixth place is our world. Because the call to carry the gospel doesn't come with geographic boundaries. I understand there's plenty of needs here. I see a bunch of them. I understand. But mission doesn't have to be mutually exclusive from global to local. It is a both and. The call to carry the gospel carries no geographic boundaries. And then I said that there are three main lead up hurdles. These are the three things we have to clear in order to lead with integrity of heart and skillful hands. We have to clear, number one, that Satan opposes all God movement. Always. Any movement to Christ, with Christ, for Christ, will always bring about heightened opposition from the enemy. It, it, it's his objective to stop all of that. It's Christ's objective to move it forward. And he does that with his church. And so we can't be intimidated um, uh, by either circumstance or cultural setting of moving the gospel forward. Two, the leaders with the most potential rarely realize it. I've encountered this most of my three decades plus of pastoral ministry. The people who really think they got it going on, just maybe some, not so much. The folks a little bit more timid, a little more questioning about what they have. Gosh, it's a wellspring if they'll just kind of go get over that kind of um, uh, hump of hearing the voice of the enemy say how much they don't have and can't offer. All right? And the last one, it's easier to go with the flow than to lead a movement. It's always easier to sit on the sideline. It's always easier to let someone else row. Always. But it's not near as effective. And, and, it's, and, it's, and the, the movement moves more precisely and quickly, makes more impact the more people you have rowing the boat. Doesn't that make sense? All right. So, to me, spiritual leadership is always going to be about spiritual influence. Spiritual leadership is always going to be about spiritual influence. So then, with that context, let me pose this question to you. Are you experiencing a gap in who you are and who's, who God's calling you to be? Are you experiencing a gap between who you are and you, who you believe God's calling you to be? And or are you experiencing a gap between what you're doing and what God's calling you to do? All right, so I call this, I call this the law of the gap. 
All right, so here's me, and here's my B, and my do, and this is the law of the gap, that there is, can I, I, that here I am, and here's where I believe God's calling to me to be and do, to become and to do, and I've got this gap, and that gap, everybody experiences this gap, all right? The law of the gap. It can seem daunting, but don't let it be discouraging, because our walk with Christ is a process Right? It's a process, and being transformed into his likeness is a process. It begins in one place, and it carries on in our life as we grow. But every one of us experience this gap between who we're called to be and what we're called to do and who we actually are and what we're actually doing. All right? We only get stuck in that gap if we try to grow out of it on our own, and, if, and we only lose when we quit trying to grow. And this is what introduces us to the law of the Spirit. So today is Pentecost. Pentecost, um, penta is a, is a prefix meaning 50. This is, this is 50 days after the resurrection of Christ. The double ring is it was the celebration of the, of the first harvest... 50 days after Passover, which was a celebration of Israel being delivered out of Egyptian slavery. And then, so Pentecost was one of the three Jewish festivals that every male Jew was expected to be in Jerusalem for this celebration. And it was on Pentecost that the fulfillment of the prophecy that God gave to Joel thousand years earlier gets brought into full, like 3D, full fruition. You can't miss it. Man, I, saw, I, I can't tell you how many times I've prayed the prayer you prayed years and years and years ago in the, in the small storage room off the stage before worship. And your prayer was, Lord, will you make your presence today unavoidable and unmistakable? And I can't tell you how many times I've prayed that. And those words came out of a teenager as we were standing there ready to pray before service. And Pentecost was the day, most definitely, was the most unmistakable, unavoidable expression of God's presence. But here is the, here is the, the prophecy that gets fulfilled um, in Acts 2. You go back to Joel 2. And Joel said, and afterward, I will pour out my spirit. Say pour. That is a great word, right? Pour. It's it's liberal, it's in abundance, it's not trickle, it's not measured, it's, it's not um, uh, held off in, uh, in increments, it's pour. I will pour out my spirit on all people, say all. Okay, so all of us fit, right? I mean, there, there's no qualification here in the sense, it's all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. So here's, a, here's even an age thing, right? Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. There's a point. It's a pointing towards a time 
when the Holy Spirit will be poured on, on everyone regardless of setting. Now the Holy Spirit is the most overlooked person of the Godhead. Father uh, is easy kind to identify. Son is kind of easy to identify. Holy Spirit, not so much, right? Um, it's, more, it's more difficult, but if you're a follower of Christ, we sit here today because of the power of the Holy Spirit, because it is the Holy Spirit who opens our eyes to our sin. He's the first one that opens our eyes to the gap, because before Christ, we're not aware of this gap. Now, there's always going to be some kind of limitations um, um, you know, there's always going to be insecurities we deal with, but, but we don't recognize that there's a gap between us and God until the Holy Spirit kind of awakens us to this gap, all right? And it's the Holy Spirit that awakens us to this gap. It's the Holy Spirit that draws us into relationship with Christ. So the Holy Spirit is active, and he's active from the beginning. Now, the Nicene Creed is the most famous and influential of all church creeds. And a creed's purpose is to give language to the church around a specific subject that can be shared across generations. Let me say that again. A creed is something that gives language to the church so that that concept, that theological precept, can be carried out throughout the generations. And here's what the Nicene Creed says about the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and His Son is adored and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. Nicene Creed written in the three, mid-300s AD. All right, so this has been some, a tradition held from all those years. So here's how we look at the role of the Holy Spirit, because I believe the role of the Holy Spirit is to fill our empty. All right, so this gap gets transformed from this progression, this um, progress gap to a volume gap. I get fancy because I'm going to use two colors. This is the law of the Spirit. So we live in this one-dimensional piece of we're not making enough progress, but the Holy Spirit isn't necessarily there to pick up our progress as it much to change us then to a, to a container to receive and to hold and let grow the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, all right? And so here becomes then this, this change, this transference to, to this movement, this gap between who I am and who I, God wants me to be, the gap between what I'm doing and the call and how to fulfill that call in my life, it gets transformed when the Holy Spirit fills us, then that gap is closed. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters in the beginning. He hovered over the waters in the temple. When the first temple was dedicated by Solomon, said that the Holy Spirit descended and with, with such weight that the people then that was giving sacrifice couldn't even stand up. I mean, have you ever, have you ever have been overwhelmed to the point that you, you were kind of, it kind of knocks you down a little bit? I mean, I have. And, and, and really what it does, it feels like someone's pushing down on you. And in that instance, 
The Holy Spirit's filling this temple and, and it's filling this volume, right? There's the, how much cubic air, right? When you buy an HVAC system, they want to know how much cubic air needs to move through a certain set to fill this cubic air in this room. And right, stuff that's beyond my comprehension, I just know it's expensive when you get someone to figure that out. So it feels, even from the very beginning of the role of the Holy Spirit, we see the Holy Spirit filling, filling. Um, and he came upon very specific people at very specific times in the Old Testament for very specific purposes. Much of those were around either, either being a prophet, but a lot of them get listed in artistry. From, from gold work to, to uh, it's, it, embroidery. I mean, it's, 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 it's like as if they were this willing vessel and the Holy Spirit came on them in particular in those moments and filled them with stuff they didn't know they had or at least advanced what they had. Then you go to the New Testament. In the New Testament we have, the Holy Spirit hovers over the womb of Mary. Well, Mary says, how can this be? How can a teenage virgin give birth to anybody, much less a savior? Right? And, the Holy, and, and, and the angel says, and the Holy Spirit will hover over you, and that's very interesting. Um, one translation, a couple of translations, and this is the better translation, says, um, no word of God will fail. You might recognize it more as um, nothing's impossible with God. A, a, a better, at least more technical translation would be, and no word of God will fail. What was that word of God? I'm going to save my people. I'm going to save my people. I'm going to send my son. The Messiah is going to come. He's going to redeem. And that word wasn't going to fail. So the angel stepping in, giving her a, hey, this is how it's going to happen, but don't worry about it because it's going to happen. Because the Spirit's going to hover. Jesus goes and he's baptized. This, this baptism was an identification with us and an obedience to the Father. He didn't need baptism for repentance. But he's identifying us with us and our sin. I mean, this was his call. This was the, the, what was placed on him as the son. He was going to take away the sins of the world. In order to take away the sins of the world, he had to identify with us sinners. Now, can you wrap your brain around that? That the, he has always existed 100% holy and powerful. And he limits himself, not just as a person, but as a baby. And then at 30, this holy, perfect God identifies with every single weakness, fault, and failure that you and I carry. He didn't stand aloof and wave a wand and say, be forgiven. He got in the middle of all of our dirt, mess, and mire and said, we are. We are together. And he identifies with us and goes to a cross and bears the penalty, the separation that exists between us and God. The Holy Spirit descends on Jesus as he comes out of the water. The heavens open and the Father declares, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. He was pleased. I don't know, it could be a hundred things, but the, the, 
that his, saw his son walking this road out in obedience. And the Holy Spirit lights on him in this moment. It says, immediately following, it says that the Spirit leads him into the desert to be tempted by the enemy. 40 days, 40 nights of fasting. I believe this is a time in which Jesus is getting a download of all that's going to come before, uh, come after. I believe the Holy Spirit's present in all of that. And then when Jesus teaches, when he teaches in John, he tells them to wait. And then in Acts, which we'll read, he says, wait on the Spirit. It's a gift going to be given to you. The Holy Spirit's activity has always, always been. And I know there's in, in many um, traditions where, where you have, who, who's come from, okay, you've come from no faith, no faith tradition, no faith tradition whatsoever, all right? See, hands, no faith tradition, all right. You've come up from a faith tradition that you rarely have ever heard any reference to the Holy Spirit. Raise your hand, all right? A lot more. All right, how about you've come from a faith tradition that said that the Holy Spirit, um, all of his activity ceased with the death of the apostles. Any, anybody would... Nobody, really? We're in, we're in Southern Baptist Church of Christ world. No one's, well, good. Well, then I'll skip that page. Um, all right. But a great way to understand the role of the power of the Holy Spirit is that he fills us, he fills this gap. All right, so now few people demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit fill, filling the gap than Peter did. All right. So in Matthew 16, we have this great exchange where Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? Okay, I've been around here long enough. Um, I'm kind of curious to know what other people are saying that they're not saying to me directly. You know, they, they spouted off some answers and then Peter kind of pops up and says, well, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus, boy, just gets Jesus' attention. He says, son, and flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. And he says, on, on this and depending on who you would read, I will build my church on this, on this proclamation on Peter. Hey, Peter was, a, was, a, um, uh, was an integral part in the establishment of the New Testament church. But it's really on this declaration, Peter, that, that you've had right then. You got it right, that I am the Christ, I'm the son of the living God. And then Peter is the first person that, deny it, that he denies even knowing Jesus. So here's the good question I think you got to ask yourself. Did Jesus misjudge Peter? No. He doesn't misjudge. He doesn't, Peter didn't somehow surprise Jesus with his pain, failure, you could call it, fear. Because here's the beauty. I got to read it the way I wrote it because I won't say it as good as I wrote it. All right. When God looks at you and me, he sees more than who we are in the moment and what we're capable of by ourselves. He sees who we are in him and what we're capable of when we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I mean, Peter is in the dregs after all of that. And we don't see Jesus' hesitation at all with Peter. What we really need to grasp about, about God is that he calls things that are not as if they were. He speaks life into dead people, into dead places. He speaks life into dormant places. He breathes life into us and calls life out of us. Look, the beauty of what God does isn't about making stuff go away. 
And this is what we want. As, as growing or immature believers, we want a God who makes things go away. We all do. I would consider myself a mature believer and I still want God to make stuff go away. But the, but it, the beauty of what he does is he makes stuff new. He, right? He, he brings dead things back to life. He does things surprising that you couldn't think of. You couldn't even imagine when he began starting that work and we just get to kind of see when it happens. And then if you can really reflect, you can go, wow, when did he start that? Well, God, he would have had to start, he would have had to start this way back then for this moment. This is the kind of things God does. This is why we worship him, not just because he can make stuff go away. And I can tell you some of the most profound times of my life is when I had to walk through the hardest things and yet he was with me. And it wasn't with me in theory. It wasn't with me in rhetoric. It wasn't with me that I held to some Bible verse. He was with me because I experienced his presence with me. It was unmistakable. It was unavoidable. It was right there. And that's when, gosh, his voice is so loud. Listen, sometimes his voice is the loudest when you can't hear him. And that's when you got to look for him. And you look for him and you realize you're still standing. And you, then you can change your tune and say, wow, he's being very, very loud right now. This is real important. The reason why Satan is so effective in crushing our spirits, little less, is because everything he says, Satan, about us and our circumstances hits some brokenness or insecurity in our lives. So that means it hits some fear in our lives, right? But a life lived in Christ is a healing life. We're, we are made whole with salvation and we are being made whole as we walk out with him. And the longer we walk in the filling power of the Holy Spirit, the more complete, the more confident, and the more courageous we become in Christ. Listen to Romans 8, 11 verses out of the message. It says, with the arrival of Jesus the Messiah, that fateful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous, low-lying black cloud. Is there anybody living under a black cloud right now? A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem, which is sin, as something remote and unimportant. In his son, Jesus, he personally took on the human condition, entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once from all. Right? He didn't do it from the outside. He did it from the inside. Salvation was an inside job. The law code, weakened as it always was by fractured human nature, could never have done that. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid on sin instead of a deep healing of it. And now what the law code asked for, but we couldn't deliver is accomplished as we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace what the spirit is doing inside of us, right? So, so many times to get from here to here, our only, our only tool in our tool belt is to try harder. I'm all for effort, 
I have no problem with effort. I have no problem with duty. I have no problem with tenaciousness. I have no problem with all that. But that on its own in my, in my own strength and intellect and creativity and resourcefulness doesn't get me from here to here. It doesn't. All right. But the spirit does. Those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle, but never get around to exercising it in real life. Those who trust God's action in them find that God's spirit is in them, living and breathing God. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious, free life. Focusing on the self is the, is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God, ends up thinking more about self than God. The person who ignores who God is and what he's doing and God isn't pleased at being ignored. Now, isn't that a great way to say it? And God is not pleased with being ignored. I, I, would, say, I would say it this way. How can God fill us with his spirit if we're ignoring who he is? But if God himself has taken up residence in your life, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than of him. Anyone, of course, who has not welcomed this invisible but clearly present God, the spirit of Christ, won't know what we're talking about. But for you who welcome him in whom he dwells, even though you still experience all the limitations of the me and be do gap, that's not what he says there, but that's how I say it, all the limitations of sin, you yourself experience life on God's terms. It stands the reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, as he does, as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life. With his spirit living in you, your body will be alive as Christ. Amen to his word. So the law of the Spirit is what the Holy Spirit does on his own. When we, welcome him, when we welcome him in, he fills the being doing gap. He fills us with life and the power of Christ. Um, now, really outside of a Pentecostal, Spirit-filled, um, full gospel, sometimes it's called um, uh, circles, um, you, you don't hear much about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The, the, the consensus is that you are filled with the Spirit at salvation. And again, like I said, no doubt that the Holy Spirit is active and present or we don't know that there's a gap and he's active and present in us in salvation. And yet, though, when you read through the New Testament, especially the book of Acts, I don't know how you avoid the language of people being connected to Christ, but having not, then not being, having heard of the Holy Spirit and then being filled with the Spirit. Amen. And the words being used about baptism. I, I, I'm not sure how to get around those. So immediately after Jesus ascends into heaven, he says, um, he says this, um, immediately before, Acts 1, 4, 9. It says, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift. Say gift. Gift. So here's another way to look at the Holy Spirit. It's a gift. My father promised. It's not even a surprise gift. It's a promised gift, which you have heard me speak about. So it is even a secret private gift. 
For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They understood the language. Baptism was immersion. They, were, they, they went under and they came up, right? And so the, the same visual language, he's transferring, transferring over here to the Spirit, all right? So when they met together, they asked him, you know, like we all do, Jesus is trying to steer him in one direction and they got their own agenda floating in their head. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times and dates the Father has set by his own authority. You guys are worrying about the wrong things. You're getting ahead of yourself. Here's what you need to be focused on. But you will receive power. Say power. So you're going to have a gift that's been promised, and this gift is going to produce power, okay? Power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, which is why I say that our influence has no geographic boundaries, okay? After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud and hid them from sight. So, a witness... The word witness can be a noun or a verb, right? Noun or a verb. So that means it's a being word. It's a being word. I'm a witness. It's a being word, and it's a doing word. I witness to. I'm witnessing. Okay? So you will receive this gift. This gift will give you the power to be and to do. Tracking with me? All right? So we have a gap. Now, even in this gap here, I can still be a believer, love Jesus, and I love Jesus my whole life, and I still deal with this gap. And here it comes, and I will give you a gift, and this gift will be the power to be and to do. All right. Um, so, the Holy Spirit's given to fill that gap. Um, after this happens, Peter stands up in this crowd of thousands upon thousands upon thousands, right? There's no number of how many people there were, except at the end of his message, it says that 3,000 people were added to their number, okay? So, wouldn't it be safe to assume that everybody in the crowd did not receive his invitation, right? So I, don't, I can't even throw a percentage at it. But even if it was half, there's 6,000 people he's speaking to. Now, 53 days prior to this, he's around a barrel warming himself and denying he knew Jesus to a servant girl. 53 days later, he's standing in front of 6,000 people who had gathered, who would have gathered for Passover, telling them that the man they killed back then was in fact the Messiah that had been promised since the beginning of time. Something's changed in Peter. Because we're not talking about just someone being brash. We, we understand that a little bit about Peter's personality in the Gospels, that he was brash right? Something that was more than just someone ticked him off. There had been a change in who he was and who he was to who he'd become. And even when God knew his failure, he looked at him and said, Peter, and on that confession, I will build this church. 
Now, and Peter, if you can get your act together, you got something coming that if you can avoid, this thing's going to be okay in your hands. This should sit home with every single one of us here. And when we hear those voices and it crushes our spirits, little s, the Holy Spirit inside of us gives us the courage to stand up and say, that might be true now, but that's not who I am. That's not who God has called me to be. And that is not, I'm not dependent on myself to get there. Holy Spirit, I need your power. That's why Paul talks about being continually filled with the Spirit. I'll get to that in a minute. I don't want to get ahead of myself. So part of that sermon, Peter quotes Joel 2. So Acts 2, he says, In the last days God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. And dude, he did not pull out his Torah and look for the passage. He didn't pull out his phone and search the Bible app. He knew that passage. Why? Because he had been to Torah school. And he had learned, and that's not part of the Torah, but it's part of the Old Testament. He knew this. And you know who else knew that? A lot of those 6,000 people that were there. And he's trying to explain, you're seeing a bunch of stuff that makes no sense to you because there's 120 people going around speaking languages they have no business knowing. All speaking the glory and wonders of God in the known languages of the people around them. And you can't explain it other than say, these guys have already been drinking this morning. And Peter's going, no, we hadn't had nothing yet. We might later, but we hadn't had nothing yet. What you're experiencing is what happens when God's prophecy of a thousand plus years ago gets fulfilled in your midst. You can't overlook it. It's just there. And I find that so many people are afraid of what the Holy Spirit will do because when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, when you live full of the Spirit, you just act things, you just do things different. It's, you're, just, you're even more different than you are when you come to Christ. And I'll say that because I'm just telling you, through 34 years of experience, when you don't know about the Holy Spirit, you come to Christ under this wave of I'm not good enough and I'm sinful and he's made me new. And then you immediately start trying to clean yourself up by yourself. You immediately just try to start doing things better and, and talk nicer, right? And open the car door for your wife. And you, you, all, you try to do all these things and yet... It's the Holy Spirit that empowers all of that activity. So here's my conclusion. The law of the gap applies to everyone, so you are not alone. But the law of the Spirit is available to anyone. You are not exempt. Amen. Now I got to introduce you. Come on up, team. I want to introduce you to the law of the lid. Because the law of the lid also exists. The law of the lid ends up either rejecting or propelling off of 
who you are by the Spirit. The Spirit, which is a gift given and desired to be given, which means the only prerequisite to being filled with the Spirit is that I want to receive the Spirit. Okay? But there are things that create a lid. So one, I would say, to some of you at least, this stuff has got to be new. I mean, because when you read further in the book of Acts, um, Peter show up and say, have you, have you heard of the Holy Spirit since you've believed? I go, no, we've never heard. Holy Spirit? I mean, we heard of Jesus. Who's the Holy Spirit? And then they pray for them and they were filled with the Spirit. It was new information. No one ever told them about that. So with, with, without, without the teaching, there's a lid. Um, there's misunderstandings become a lid. Um, again, I just, listen, I'm in a pastoral fellowship with a bunch of great men that I love. And um, some of them who come out of a tradition that, does, that do not embrace, embrace uh, uh, Pentecostalism, uh, charismatic renewal, any of that stuff, the role of spirit, they have, we have great conversations. And they tell me, they say, Pastor, we, we believe in the Holy Spirit. I just don't know what to do with him. That's, that's been a phrase used in my pastoral circles. And it's, it's, what, it's, it's a wonderful expression. Jason Cruz is one of the ones who used that expression with me. Pastor, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I, believe he's, I, I, just, I, I, don't know, I don't know what to do with him. I have phrased... I have, I have postured being filled with the Spirit this way in Gateway for a lot of years. Dean, what is it? Come on. You know it because you say it to me all the time. If God has... If God has more, I don't want less. I mean, years. I've just boiled it down to that. Do I have to understand all of this? I sure hope not because I don't understand all who Christ is. I've said this, but I, I don't understand the incarnation. I, I don't know how to wrap my brain around that. I, I don't know how to wrap my brain around an infinite God. But I can work off what I do understand. And as I've grown in Christ, my understanding has grown. So I feel like the same way around the Holy Spirit. If we believe God is good and we believe the word that the Holy Spirit is a gift, that would mean this would be a good gift. And if he pours and doesn't measure and doesn't ration and doesn't grade, or you get a little more. David, not so much. If it grade, portion, measure, well then, then I'm, I'm just as much as a recipient as anybody else to be filled with. All right. Fear. What's going to happen to me? Because pastor, you skip the passage when everybody's talking out loud in different languages. One, I would refer you to last summer when I preached all summer long on the Holy Spirit called Fire and Wind. I, I, that was probably as much of a comprehensive unpacking of the role of the Holy Spirit that I could ever do. We did like eight to 10 weeks over last summer. And I just kind of always circle back to 
if God has more, I don't want less. And what I really, you know, you're going to chop over my house with a gift. Do I really want to quiz you about all of that? I mean, seriously? Well, I'll receive this gift if it's the right color. If it's the right size. If it's the right model year. I should be far less concerned about what this looks like and far more concerned about what it does, what he does in me. All right, last piece before we pray. I listed this as a lid thing. It's a lid thing and it's also a... um... So before coming to Christ, if I have sin that dominates my life, the Holy Spirit is trying to get inside of me. He's trying to get my attention. And that's why I think you could say sin would be a lid that I need to come to Christ in salvation. I need to receive him to receive his spirit. But I've also experienced in my life that what sin does as a believer, what it does is it it doesn't preclude me from relationship with God. Get that, I'm not talking about rebellion. I'm not talking about me just turning and walking away from God saying, I don't believe in you more, I don't love you anymore, blah, blah, blah. I'm talking about the stuff that we still experience between the me and the do, right? You with me? All right. And so what I've experienced in my life is that that unconfessed and resolved sin in my life puts holes in my bucket. And wherever you put a hole, stuff leaks. So what do we do with that? We confess our sin. We close up the breach so we can hold more spirit. So, if you want to be filled with the spirit today, I want you to stand up and hold your hands as if you were about to receive a gift for our prayer simple as that. If you have holes, if you have holes in your life that have to be filled, fill them right now. It's a confession. Lord, you know what they are. You know, and you know, and I don't, I, don't, I don't want those things there. I keep falling into them, but I don't want them there. Close them. Close them, Father. I, can, I, 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 can, I confess that. Lord, this morning, as your, as your people stand up all over this room, First, Lord, we confess, we confess our sin. We confess the gap between us being who you want us to be and us doing what you want us to do. We don't want that. And those things that keep circling back, Father, we want to close those gaps because we want to hold more of your spirit. So, Father, your people with their hands open to receive. Lord, I pray, fill them. Fill them with your spirit today. Lord, you have good and perfect gifts for us and we want to receive them. We yield ourselves to you. Flood in all the places of our life that we have cordoned off and kept from you. Do what only you can do in this moment, Lord Jesus. We're gonna gonna sing this song and I, I just I encourage you just to invite your words that he hears you ask 
Father, Son, fill me. Fill me to overflowing with your Spirit. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.